this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and share their story. They might have overcome something incredible or they might still be on their journey. With stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. I'm so pleased to be joined today by a man with a story of strength and integrity. Former Wales Rugby Union captain Gareth Thomas is no stranger to being at the top of his game winning 100 caps for Wales, then moving to Rugby League and leading his country to victory over France in the European Cup. Then in 2009, everything changed for Gareth as he revealed publicly that he was gay. In a time when male sports stars were certainly not talking about their sexuality. 10 years on in 2019, Gareth again made a brave statement to the world that he was HIV positive. On the 14th of September that year, Gareth shared an emotional video online stating that he was going to dedicate himself to addressing the stigma that exists around the subject. Gareth is now leading a Tackle HIV campaign determined to correct the misunderstanding around HIV. And he's a total legend. And he joins (laughs) me today. Did you like that intro? I love that. Can we just, can you do it again? Do you want me to write it down feel, on a post-it yeah, note make, for you? Yeah. Just make me feel even more important. That was like amazing. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Well, it is an amazing story and I've wanted you on the pod for so long um, for so many different reasons. You know, there's so many achievements. You, you, Like I said in the intro, you operate with such integrity. I've got so much respect for you and everything you've done throughout your life and career. So it's a real special episode for me. Firstly, it's um, an honour to be on you, especially as this kind of like extraordinary people. Um, I kind of, I I don't know, I don't, I I suppose maybe other people externally looking in feel that I fit this category, but um, I I certainly feel like I I don't fit it. And I quite like the fact that I feel like I don't fit it because um, I I think I'm very grounded, you know, I think where Mm -hmm. I've come from, where I am right now as well, more importantly is, is, is I feel a representation of people who are very grounded but are struggling with certain circumstances, certain situations that they feel that they want um, guidance from. It's such an overused word, journey, but when I look at, you know, everything you've been through and your sort of whole life up to now, it really is a journey. And we all know the outcome now of who you are and the amazing work you do. But there must have been so many lows along with some of these highs. What's it been like when you look back now? 
do you how do you feel about it all? Uh, oh yeah, listen. When I when I look back now, I'm not sure really how I got to this position. I'm not sure how I got through um, moments in my life or, or or times in my life when I didn't want to exist, when I felt that um, there was so much more about me than my sexuality or my my HIV status. When I I felt like I had a really good ability, really good personality, I had so much more to give. And so much more to be defined by. Um, and also what I found, Katie, was was something that was really difficult was that um because I lied to people, or I was I didn't tell people the truth, then what I found is 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 that through lying you live in fear because you live in fear of people like finding out that you're lying. You live in fear of people talking about you um when you walk into a room. Um, and when you live in, you know, fear is, fear as a word that can be used as a very great form of motivation, but it's not, it's not, it's not this powerful thing when you wake up every single day surrounded by, surrounded by this, this fear. And I think the fear drove me to a point of not wanting to exist anymore. Like I genuinely mm. didn't want to exist. I genuinely um, felt that the world would be a better place without me. My parents would be in a better situation and a position without me. My friends would be in a better position um, without me. So I think, you know, when you reach, when you reach a point in your life where you don't want to exist, um, and that is the ultimate low, it's very difficult at that point to feel like there's a way out. You know, to feel like, or, or, or knowing there's a way out, but thinking, how do I start this process? of getting out of here. And these suicidal feelings, was this because you felt that it would just be too much for people to accept who you are? Yeah, they were it was very much that, you know, when it was when it was linked around my sexuality and I was playing rugby or when it was linked around my HIV diagnosis, society creates a stereotype of 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 what a person should be like as far as the definition of who they are or what job they do or what social circles they move in. So I felt like for me, socially, I didn't fit into this identity bracket and I didn't have an understanding of who my identity was. For instance, I I was constantly in a changing room that would speak negatively about people who were gay when it comes to terms with rugby. Like if you, you know, People who are gay can't run fast. They can't tackle. They can't be hard. They can't play rugby. So my mixed understanding around my identity was the fact that, well, I could play hard. Like I could run fast. I could do, I, yeah, I, can't, I can't tackle. So I'm maybe I can't be gay. It's not, it's not gay because other people with more worldly understanding than me say that, um, I can't be gay and be good at rugby. Um, so I lost my, I kind of lost my identity, um, my identi- identity through that. And I think when you don't know who you are, you can't really represent yourself. Yeah, you can't really represent anything. Real crisis, isn't it, of identity? And, you know, I always think like you were the top of your game and actually everything else aside, that's a really high pressured role to be in where you were at in your rugby career. Never mind having all the other stuff, like you said, the secrets. 
Like the, you must have felt so much pressure on you um, at that period in your life. Yeah, I was like, I was, I was the person who everybody in Wales was jealous of because everybody else in Wales wanted to be me. Because whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, whether you're young, whether you're old, rugby is our national sport. And being captain of our national team and our national sport, it's just like it's just like the pinnacle. Mm. It's just like the pinnacle for for everyone. And as much as everyone else wanted to be me, I wanted to be anyone else. Because I just felt this overriding pressure to then deal with the expectancy of performing, deal with the expectancy of leading, dealing with the expectancy of saying what other people think I should say, of doing what other people think I should do. And then underneath that layer of pressure was the secret um, that obviously was, a, was, was, a, was an even bigger pressure, but a pressure I couldn't deal with every day. Like I couldn't I couldn't figure it out every day because I had to go into work. I had to deal with the pressure of work. I had to deal with the pressure of training, of knowing what to say, of how to motivate, um, of how to keep people, you know, at the peak condition. So it was a, it was a pressure that I couldn't really feel like I could address as much as I wanted to, um, because I had this huge pressure of just being able to perform. And and what I did know deep deep down is there was a small part of me that I kind of kept connected to. And that was the part of me that would say to me, okay, listen now, guy, I know you're different and you know you're different, but you have to focus on your job because one day potentially this difference is going to be found out. And when this difference is found out, however it's found out, whether it's through your choice or somebody else's choice, you have to have a relevance to your ability. You have to be able to turn around to people and say, do you know what? Yeah, I am gay, but boy, I'm not a bad rugby player as well, you know, is, and I'm not yeah. a bad captain. That's dreadful, isn't it? You felt like you had to compensate for something that's not a fault at all. You know, your sexuality is by no means a negative thing, but this, but your circle had made you feel like that. Society had made you feel like that, that you had to somehow make up for something that is just about you naturally being you. I mean, you go back to 2009, you, you were married to a woman. So mm. you were really conforming as much as you could to that stereotype of who the public thought you should be. Yeah, listen, I think when you, well, I don't think I know, um, when you start lying, it's a very difficult, vicious circle to get out of. So, like I say, if my identities as a child and as a young adult growing up didn't connect with kind of how I felt from what other people were saying about gay people. So I assumed I wasn't gay. So I assumed that I should then live the life that everybody else around me is living, doing the things that everybody else is doing. And... I, I I got married and I did fall in love with a woman. And as, as difficult as this is for people to be able to understand, um, I always feel, you know, we go through life, right? Kind of not preaching to people, but good advice to people is, you know, like, you know, love somebody for who they are, how they, how you connect with them. And trust me, I did that with my wife. You know, as people say, I, I, I'm an openly gay man. 
but I fell in love with a woman. I was attracted to her, but she was so beautiful in the way she treated me, in the way she empathised with me, in the way she cared for me, in the way she looked after me. So I fell in love with her for that. Um, And it broke my heart to have to break her heart. But at that time, I just felt if I I went along with what everybody else thought I should do, um, what everybody else was telling me I should do, then maybe this is what everybody else's life is. Like maybe everybody else has this little secret, but they go to that point and they just, they just get on with life. You know, I had never had or been allowed to have emotional connections of feelings with other men. So I thought my emotional connection feeling with Gemma was love. That is mm. what it is. That's what everybody feels. Because nobody really sits down with you and says... You know, especially as a rugby player, you know, well, when you fall in love, this is what it's going to feel like. Because we don't like we're, you yeah. know, we're men. We don't talk about love. It's not in our, <laughs> our, it's not, it's like, it's not in our vocabulary. So I just thought I was doing and feeling what everybody else felt for the probably the first time until I was authentic. I just actually felt quite normal because this is what I thought normal was. But I get that, you know, even in marriage, whether it's heterosexual marriage, whatever relationship it is, you go through your problems and you wonder, well, is this what long-term commitment is? Is this what being a parent is? And you don't have anything to compare it with. And we're not really, you know, as a society, we're not really open about those things. We don't like to admit our private life has struggles and cracks in it. So we all just kind of carry on. And some people might get to the end of their life and really regret what was a wasted life. Um, I wondered if your ex ever had suspicions and what's your relationship like with her now? Um, it's, I, I don't I don't know, to be honest with you, if she ever had suspicions. I, I assume she would have had suspicions, especially towards the latter part of our marriage. Uh, my assumptions would have probably grown. But I think, and again, you know, I'm married now, is we we have our problems. You know, we have we have our good moments, we have our bad moments. And I just think that I was in such a place um of not understanding and just assuming this was what it should be like. Um that I think Gemma ended up on kind of on that, you know, on that hamster wheel with me of feeling like, well, you know, this is what being married to captain, the captain of Wales is like, you know, this is the pressure and he's acting this way because he's massively under pressure to perform and he's coming home grouchy because that's his job. That's why, that's why I have to, you know, nobody, nobody prepared either of us for, you know, this kind of crazy, crazy roller coaster. Um, that we were we were on, and and what brought us closer together, to be honest, with Katie, more than anything else, was the fact that we supported each other through really terrible times. Because I'm not proud to say, you know, there was an expectancy of me to have a girlfriend, there was an expectancy of me to get married, and then came this massive expectancy that people just, I found it really intrusive, but they kept asking, so when are you having children? Yeah, when people think got... that's a normal question, but it's rude yeah. and it's it's private yeah. and yeah. It's, really rude and we got to a point 
and Gemma ended up having having a few miscarriages, and um, and that, to be honest with you, was what cemented our relationship more than anything else because the the heartbreak that she went through was mm. huge. The heartbreak that I was going through was huge, but nobody outside could understand it because nobody in my immediate family, nobody in Gemma's immediate family. I'd ever, I'd ever experienced a miscarriage. So people were just kind of like, don't worry, you can try again. And then they'd be asking like a month later, are you pregnant yet? Um, so she felt the pressure as, 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 as much as me. So when we did finally split, because of their moments, we, we had kind of had this conversation that we felt that we needed to support each other through this split and we needed it to be amicable because nobody else understood our journey of getting married and where we got to so nobody's going to understand our journey of breakup as well apart from us um, and now I'm really happy to say Gemma's moved on she's got married she found out the problem she had she's now has two children and we oh, don't wow. stay in yeah I'm, and I'm so happy for her we don't and we don't stay in touch because there came a time in our lives where we had to say do you know what for us to move on Mm. We need to separate. We can't continue with living in the past and mm -hmm. talking about our past because it's not it's not good for our future and it's not good for Gemma's husband. It's not good for my husband to have that connection too much to our past. Yeah, I think it's a healthy boundary. And actually, when you do love and respect somebody, that's why you put those things in place because you, you care, care for them and you don't want to continue hurting one another. Yeah, and I think also it's good... Um, a friend of mine said to me, actually, and this might be a, a, a common cliche, but I don't know, is, but, you know, when you, if you really some, love someone at some point, then you just have to let them go. Yeah, it's difficult, but it, it's a big, th it's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, you have to yeah. do that for them. Um, I remember when you came out and it was like such a big thing, you coming out about your sexuality. And I think I'm quite naive because, you know, I'm not in the sport world. I don't understand it. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, that's really great he's done that. Why has it become such a big thing? Like, you know, and then I, when I really looked into it, I understood how no one has done that. It's not mm. normal. It's such a masculine world. And I wondered if you anticipated how big it would be. Were you surprised? And also, has it unlocked something? Have other people in rugby or other male-dominated sports come out about their sexuality following you? Um, listen, I, 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 I didn't think it would be anywhere near the size of the story that it ended up being. Like I had no, like I went to, I went to bloody America. I was on the Ellen DeGeneres show for Christ's sake. It's like, geez, where's, you know? Um, I Quite fun no, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great yeah. fun. Like, yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. I loved, I loved the like journey and I loved the message that I was, I was, um, I was delivering. But geez, I, wa I wasn't prepared for it because there was no way that I think it was going to be um, the size of a story was. And what, you know what I found difficult about it being such a big story was that I became this, people thought that, you know, I play, a, I wake up on a Friday and my sexuality is hidden. I wake up on a Saturday and my sexuality is, is an open conversation. And all of a sudden me as a person should change. And it, you know, I, I didn't really change. It, it, it took me a while to understand it. But what I, what I, ha what I became was all of a sudden this spokesperson and this figurehead very quickly for a community of people that I'd spent my whole life avoiding my identity 
with that community of people. So I didn't understand that community, yet I was representing all of a sudden. Yeah, because you wouldn't feel part of it, would you, really? No, no. no. And I, you know, I, the, only, the only times I'd ever been to gay bars or gay clubs was when I was like hiding who I was. So I never went there authentically. So I never mm. enjoyed them. I always found it to be quite lonely. So to all of a sudden be this version of celebration towards a community that I d- had no idea and to quote myself in newspaper and realise that, you know, these newspaper stories, they're not going to just be there tomorrow. They'll be there for the rest of my life. So people will quote me on what I say um, for for the rest of my life. So I found it really found it really difficult to come to terms with it. And the fact that, you know, I become the first person in rugby union on team sport to to speak about my sexuality and to continue playing mm-hmm. um, also meant that I had to keep focused on continuing to play and keeping focused on really more than ever now being good at what I do because people are people are watching me. People are waiting for me to fall. Some people want me to fail. Um, so it became, you know, it became a really difficult, a difficult time in my life to try and focus on one thing yet learn so much about a, about a community of people that I, I wanted to represent, but I wanted to represent them in the right way. I wanted to represent them in a positive way. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. So almost like an added pressure, because I wondered, following that announcement, did it mean your day-to-day life changed? Did you view yourself differently? Like, were you able to act differently? Um, I tell you what I was able to do, right? And I, 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 I think this is acting differently. But more importantly, what I was able to do and how I learned about evolving in kind of this position that I'd been thrust into, um, you know, was firstly I didn't, you know, I didn't speak about my sexuality to be like a trailblazer, to be the first person. I spoke about it because um, I was having suicidal thoughts and suicidal attempts and I kind of was it was a crossroads of do I live or or do I die which one which turn in do I take um but what I realized was that within my sport like within li- like within life I think what I was doing I was making decisions authentically 100% in mm. that moment so whereas I'd realized so much of my life had been taken up by being you know, like 70, 60% in the moment and 40, 30% wondering what everybody else is thinking or what the crowd are chanting or what my coach is going to be thinking about what I'm hiding. 
then I realized in that moment that had kind of started to fall away. So I started to make these these really good decisions that I felt really good about, that I felt were really authentic. And that didn't just happen in rugby. That started to like happen in life, in decisions that I'd make over friendships, decisions that I'd make over conversations or decisions that I'd make over topics or what I would choose. Even to a point, I know this sounds so naff, even to a point of clothes I wanted to choose to wear because I was very conscious before that I needed to choose things that were very like unauthentic to me but I felt authentic to somebody else as far as the character I'm I'm trying to play so all my decision making became like really really authentic and I I I I was really able to to be okay with decisions I was making professionally and personally it sounds so stifling to not be able to express yourself through your clothes, through your language. Like, I remember when I got burnt, I thought, I better not wear like a low cut top anymore because I shouldn't really try and be sexy or revealing. Uh, and it's like really weird to repress a side of you that you want to communicate to the world. So it must have felt very freeing to just yeah. be. But also, I like, you know, there's a... Uh... I've always been a big joker and I love fun. You know, I love having fun. I love having a laugh. And, you know, so many people now say to me, like, you're so much, you're so much more of a better version of yourself. So it's not that I'm completely different. It's just, it's way more, it's way more authentic. It's way more giving. So I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't hide away certain things. Like I can be, I feel like I can act in ways that are very natural to me, but to some other people might be, I don't know, sometimes very camp or very flamboyant or mm. clothes you wear, like very loud, you know, very individual. That I would, I, and all I wanted to do previously was I suppose, you know, fit into the group, flow along with everyone else, not stand out, not be too loud. Um, not be too effeminate for use of a better word. I don't know. But now, like, I'm very much okay about all of them because that is a real part of who I am. Because I remember one thing I said that I kind of, I probably will regret for a long, long time is I have said to people at the start is, I want to be known as a rugby player. I do want to be known as the rugby player who is gay. Mm -hmm. But what I very quickly understood is that, do you know what? I'm very proud to be a gay man because I'm very proud of who I am. And that's that's a part of who I am. So for me, being gay is a part of who I am. It's amazing now you don't have to second guess everything and think before you speak or act. You can just sort of be you without overthinking it almost. Because I wondered, like, maybe I'm wrong and naive because I'm you know heterosexual, so I don't know what it's like um, to identify in a society as gay, but I have lots of gay friends and, you know, in the world I live in, it's not a problem for, for somebody to be gay, but that isn't necessarily true across the board in all professions and in all families as well. So what is it in sport? Is it the fact people fear the sponsors won't like it, the fan base won't like it, that the individual will be seen as less strong? Like what is the fear, do you think? I think all of those and more that you mentioned. Um, and also the fear that nobody can really guarantee, and this is another sad thing, nobody really can guarantee a sportsman or woman that if they speak openly about their sexuality, 
that there isn't going to be no negative repercussions. Now, on mm-hmm. most, if not all, businesses or forms of employment, then, you know, there's an understanding of diversity and inclusion. There's an element of a need and a must to act, not just to say we're diverse and inclusive, but to act on it. Yet, yeah, within sport, there's a lot of talk about it, but not not much action. Because I guarantee you, if a footballer was to potentially speak about his sexuality and be an openly gay footballer in the papers today, nobody could 100% guarantee that for the rest of that person's career, they are not going to face abuse, whether it be from the press or whether it be from the fans on the sideline, whether it be from the club and the club owners or whether it be um, from other organisations within football. And when you look at sport as well, sport is no longer this kind of isolated thing that goes on in separate countries. It's a global brand. And we still live in a world where I think it's 71 countries it's illegal to be gay in. Wow. Now, yeah, 71 countries. Shocking. And yeah, and and if you look at the last the last World Football World Cup, which is probably the most watched global sporting event in the world, it was held in Russia where um where people who are open about their sexuality um face huge consequences. The next Football World Cup is in Qatar, where it's one of the countries to be illegal to be gay in. A lot of the owners of a lot of these clubs where which have the money in these institutions a lot of them come from countries where it's illegal to be to be gay in. So I feel there's so many factors that really have never been addressed and need to be addressed for people to say, do you know what, we're dealing with it because we're creating a diverse and inclusive environment. It's like, well, how are you dealing with it? Mm. And what changes have you actually made? Because if changes had been made, then I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you as being like the only gay gay male professional rugby player to come out in a team sport. Because it can't be only you. Um, (sighs) It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. To to think that you're the only sort of spokesperson. And I don't know if this is true. If it is, it makes me so angry. Uh, When I researched you, it said that a journalist was going to reveal your status to your parents before you'd actually had the opportunity to do that. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, is that allowed? Is that legal? Can they do that? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not, is, 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 is a lot of things that the press do legal. I think they create their own um, laws that justify their their actions. But for for me, because what had happened was me living with HIV. When I first found out, I thought I was going to die because I was a, a version of self stigma. But when I learned a lot more about it, when I started listening, I realised that that's not going to be the case. Um, and what I done is I'd started telling people who were very close to me because I felt, you know, the more I don't tell people, the more I I add to the stigma of this, the more I add to my own version of the stigma. Um, And sadly, one of the people I told realized that the knowledge that they had made me very vulnerable to them. So they started to try and get money out of me for this information. And as I wouldn't pay the money their threat then was to go to the press. To get so this a, is somebody you classed as a friend? Yeah, yeah. So somebody, so went, they went to the press because then the press would say to this person, well, we'll give you money if you give us the knowledge that he's living with HIV and 
we can write a story about it, then we'll pay you for it. So he kind of found this third party to get the money out of. But the press couldn't write the story because one, I was blocking it for many years. And also they didn't have kind of specific people to give them the specific information that was relevant enough to prove an article um, worthy. So they felt that one day, after trying for many years, that if they could get my parents to comment on it, then it would be enough proof to write an article. So one day they went to my mother's and father's doorstep, knocked on their door, and I hadn't told my parents that I was HIV positive at this point because I was waiting for, I was waiting for the right time to tell them if ever there is a right. You know, sometimes you create a moment to tell somebody mm-hmm. something. Absolutely. And I hadn't told them at this point and they went, my my father opened the door and the newspaper journalist asked my father to comment on the, on the knowledge of the fact that I was living, um, that I was living with uh, HIV. He actually said AIDS, which is... Your dad um, the, must have the, been floored, yeah. just scared. and. But, well, it was my dad, because but then what happened, my mother obviously said to my father, like, you know, who was that at the door? My father said to my mother, and then I was in London at the time, and I was coming home on the train, and my mother rung me, and she said a journalist had just been to the, to the house and told us this news, is it true? And one of the worst things about that day was I was having to travel from Paddington to Bridgend on the Paddington Swansea line in between carriages on a packed train trying to say to my parents not the fact that I'm living with HIV because my parents didn't know anything about living with HIV and trying to tell them that their son wasn't going to die like and, and so, uh, yeah uh, it, it evokes actual rage in me because uh. you didn't consent to that like you said, your parents are a totally different generation who wouldn't understand what yeah. it means. Like I, I can't believe that someone can legally do that and, and knock on their door and, and 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 do that. And then and then the friend that all those years had you hanging and dangling could have been responsible for you killing yourself. Yeah, like it, it's so serious. I mean, yeah. it's just. It, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I assumed it wasn't actually true when I read that bit of No, research. no, that's... But what that is, that's the... In a way, what that gave me was the decision to take control of my own narrative because I had been... I had been like a puppet to this person and like a puppet to the newspaper for a long, long time. And I felt that, you know what, I continue playing this game I, I contemplated play, paying the money I contemplated trying to do something um, with the journalist for this story but then I thought to myself do you know what this now is way out of control and the only way I take control is I control the narrative of telling people that I'm living with mm-hmm. HIV and that was my purpose then of doing the Iron Man that was my purpose of creating you know tackle HIV um which is the campaign that we set up. Um, so what it did, it's like you, we, we all have kind of, you know, where we have crossroad moments or trigger moments that that force us into action. It kind mm. of forced me into, it forced me into action and it forced me to um, confront something that I'd been afraid of for a long, long time because of the consequences of it. But, I felt like whatever the consequences are, they can't be worse 
than the narrative I'm living right now. I have to take control of it. Because that's the thing with any abuse or cor- or corruption, we need to empower the person who's being targeted. And you were very much being abused by those people. And by coming out, you became louder with a bigger platform and you became more empowered. I mean, the video you did have 5 million views. Um, that's <laughs> I didn't quite know that. amazing. Yeah, I mean, can we get that many downloads for this podcast episode, please? <laughs> um, but I mean, five million views is massive. Was was the response like was the largest percent positive? Like, how was the response? Well, when I posted, because what I did, I posted the video um, on the night before I decided to do the Iron Man, which is the next day. So I yeah. didn't when I when I posted the video. It was really, really difficult, but I turned my phone off and I didn't turn my phone on until about, I don't know, maybe three or four days later because I was afraid of what the reaction would 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 be. But when I turned it on, it wasn't just it wasn't just that it was it was positive. And trust me, I appreciated every single positive message was that it was really positive from really relevant people as well. Like people who through their positivity, would influence and educate millions of other people as well. Um, mm. You know, like to have uh, Prince William, Prince Harry, Elton John, so many like really famous, um, vocally strong people who wanted to connect with this story because they felt that this was a moment that they wanted to be a part of, not to kind of claim any glory, but to, cl- to kind of control this moment and make it a special moment and ma- by making it as big a moment as it, as it possibly can. And um, it, was, it, felt, it felt really rewarding, even though I'd gone through mm-hmm. crap for a lot of years and um, a lot of pain me and my husband had gone through, getting to that point we looked back at it and just kind of felt like, you know what, as as terrible as it was, and as much I wouldn't wish it on anyone else, it actually felt quite rewarding in that moment. Yeah, for all your pain and suffering, you've made such an impact on the world and you've helped people you've never met. And, you mm. know, not many people can say that. Um I think one thing I love about you is you are the change that you want to see. You don't sit there waiting for society to change. Um, You've kind of wholeheartedly taken it upon yourself to address this stigma um, Mm. around HIV. And that's not easy because sometimes, like I know for me, I get fed up with talking about burns and scars and being burnt. And sometimes once you've done your big, this is who I am, you want to just go and do something else. Yeah. I'd love to hear all all about your campaign and what it is you're doing. Yeah, so we set up um, a campaign along with Vive Healthcare, which is um, which is an amazing um, an amazing organisation because I feel what makes some organisations amazing is the fact that they work and strive to no longer be around. So they work and strive to eradicate HIV, um, and when HIV is potentially eradicated, then there's no need for Vive. So to, for me to to partner up with them and Terence Higgins Trust, which is another um, organisation which does great work um, around and support for people living with HIV, with, the, with them two organisations, I wanted to create a campaign that was focused on something that is um, a big problem around HIV and sometimes something that potentially could be a bigger killer than HIV because HIV is no longer a killer. If you if you 
if you get tested, if you find out early enough you're tested, when you get on um, medication, um, then you can live a normal, happy, healthy life. But the stigma and the misunderstanding around it means that people are afraid of getting tested or or people go into um, spirals of depression because of the lack of knowledge around it. So we set up Tackle HIV, which is a campaign that is set out to dispel the myths, but more importantly, give people the knowledge and the information of what it is to live with HIV in 2021. Um, you know, we do a podcast. Um, we have tacklehiv.org, which is um, a site set up where people can go and get the relevant information. We're on um, Twitter at Tackle HIV. And, and, and these are all areas because there's so much misunderstanding and misinformation out there that for me, I feel it's really important, really relevant that everybody, regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, everybody potentially could be confronted with HIV. So mm-hmm. everybody needs to understand. Now, whether that be yourself personally um, being infected or whether that be a friend, so you're affected by it through a friend or through a colleague or through a, a workmate or through a, an, a partner, Everybody needs to have that understanding because I feel and I truly believe that everybody has a part to play in creating a happy, healthy society. So the more people know about um, about HIV, then as far as I'm concerned, the happier society could be because we can have conversations around it that can empower people. We can have a conversation around it that gives people the knowledge around it. And that's the thing. This isn't about the people living with HIV. This is uh, the rest of us. We need to do the work. We need to spread the right information. We need to teach the right information to the next generation. And we need to understand, um, you know, like that that knowledge is is complete power and, yeah. and takes away all the myths, all the fear. Um, see, this is why I said you were a legend in the intro. You're a total ledge. Like, this is just like amazing work. I think you could tell I'm rather fond of you. I don't, don't want it. you to go. Basically. Uh-huh. Um, so this is this is going to be my final question. Um, I couldn't go without talking about your Twitter bio because it starts with, I am Welsh before I am anything else, uh-huh. um, which I love. I, I told you my dad's family are all from Neath, yeah. South, South Wales. Yeah. Um, is this about being like, you know what? You've had this. You've you've come out of all these different announcements, but you know HIV and sexuality actually doesn't define you, and like and that bio kind of says this is who I am. Yeah, that's exactly it, Katie. To be honest, you hit the nail on the head. Um, when I, when I wrote it, because it's very difficult in it to describe yourself in something like that, and and when people say, bio. "Oh, I know, I know this guy because yeah, he's the openly gay rugby player. I know this guy because he's you know the guy who spoke about being HIV positive, or he's the rugby, and I and 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 I feel people when people say to me like I'm I've had some achievements that you know I'm unbelievably proud of, but one of the greatest achievements I feel that I've ever had was the honour of being born Welsh because I really feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel when I didn't have an identity or understand my identity, I kind of always describe myself as being Welsh. It's the one thing that stuck with me through um, through everything. So yeah, it's kind of important to me that people understand that there's a lots of there's lots of layers to me. There's lots of things I'm really passionate, um, really passionate about. But my identity, my greatest achievement, probably one of my greatest passions above all is is being Welsh. Oh, I love that. It's brilliant. <laughs> and this is such a wonderful way to end the chat. Thank you so much for talking about so many 
personal details and, and being so honest and just so lovely like you just uh, you just have this ripple effect everything you're doing you're spreading so much um, knowledge and kindness and I just think you're an amazing guy you're an extraordinary person yes, that's why you came I'm on the qualified. podcast yes <laughs> you've, t- you've passed <laughs> yes <yeah. laughs> oh, thank you so much Katie um, it's such a pleasure I loved talking to you yeah thanks me too Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials.